Welcome, Machias Forever family. That's, that's becoming a common theme, and it is, because guess what? We are. We are the forever family. And every time you come in here, I hope you hear that multiple times, because it's true. We're the family of God. God has a huge family, and it spans throughout time, but this is the little family gathered together at Machias. And as you heard from Randy, it doesn't matter how big we are. We can have an impact for God in his kingdom here in Machias and throughout the country because we've sent people out. And all we have to do is be faithful and let God do it through us. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to get to that point where God can use us. And that's what we're going to do now. So I need the kids, all the kids, young or young at heart, come on up, doesn't matter. You guys stand right here. Give me a little bit of room here. Come on up. Oh, hey, buddy. Good to see you guys. How are you all today? So nice to see you. Glad to see you guys coming back every week. Yeah, I'm sure your mom and dad make you do it. Yeah. That's the way I grew up. Every time the church was open, we were there, whether we wanted to or not. Most of the time, we didn't. But I'm so glad you come. And everybody here is so glad you guys come, too. You know what? Um, when I was 12 years old, I accepted Jesus as my Savior, and so I was, I was saved, and, and God says, now you're going to be in my family forever, and you're going to have a whole bunch of family members too. But one of the things that started to bug me was, even though I had accepted Jesus, and I don't know how many of you guys, but you'll get there hopefully, right? Accept Jesus as your Savior. But you know what I found out? I still did bad stuff. What? Whoa, I know. And here I am, I'm a pastor. Guess what? I still do bad stuff. How about you guys? Do you guys ever do any bad stuff? Yes. <laughs> okay. You have delegates out there who will testify on your behalf. Yes. Okay. I, I don't like it. You know, that's one of the things that when we become saved, it's not fun to sin anymore. And that's, what we, that's what the Bible calls it when we do bad stuff, right? It's things called sin. But you know where those sins start in most of us? Right up here in our minds and here in our hearts. In fact, the Bible tells us the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. And then we know that bad thoughts happen. Do you guys ever have any bad thoughts, things that you, you know, and your brother does something to you and you're like, oh, I'd really like to smack him one. Never? Well, good. Well, your brother's little, so you don't want to be smacking him. He probably doesn't annoy you too much yet. Yeah, he's just little yet. But you know what? That's, that's the thing about God. He not just saved us. He not just makes us um, part of his family, but he helps us to not have bad feelings and bad thoughts. And we need that help. This is what? It's a hammer. Now, it's a tool, right? Um, but for now, here's what I want you to do. This is really bad thoughts and bad feelings. Here, right? And so let's just say, here's Tim. He, not only is he a Christian, but now he's a pastor. Oh, my. And he still has these bad thoughts. And if these bad thoughts would come into his head like a hammer, would I want to hit myself in the head with this hammer? No. Because no. it would hurt, wouldn't it? How about here? No. No. Okay. This is what's really cool, really cool. God gives us tools 
How about this? Hmm? What's this? Yeah. Construction guys wear this, right? Besides being really loud, do you think that hurt? No. Not a bit. How about this? No. Oh. God gave us some tools. And you know what? He gave us a promise. And here's this promise. It's in Philippians chapter 4 in the Bible, verse 7. And the presence of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So God says, I'm going to give you some tools to guard your heart and guard your mind when you have bad thoughts. Or sometimes things come in from outside and other people try to tempt us. Or sometimes even the devil. Yeah, that's what this is for. And construction guys wear this so things don't hit them in the head. But right now, this is God's Holy Spirit and his word that he gives us as tools to guard things in our hearts so we don't have bad feelings and bad... Because everything that comes out of our heart sometimes isn't good. But, but God says, I'll help you with that. Because I want you to be more like me so that you can love me more and I'll love you. So, so God's going to love us anyway, but he wants us to love him more. In order to do that, he has to fix us some of the stuff that's still broken. And in order to do that, we get tools. And this is a tool, and this is a tool. This is bad. These are good. These save us from this. All right. We'll see you guys next week. And you go on downstairs, and you're going to get another lesson. These work, by the way. <clears throat> so here we are, still going through our statement of faith, and I know it's probably taking longer than you expected, but it's taking longer than I expected, too. But once again, um, we prayed this morning, and I pray all the time again, that the Holy Spirit really inhabits this time. And really the time that I'm preparing to try to share with you right now. And this is something that I was really convicted about this week. <clears throat> so let me read. We believe in the present ministry of the Holy Spirit, by whose indwelling the Christian is enabled to live a godly life. I can tell I'm not communicating this the way that it needs to be communicated. And how do I know that? Because nobody's yelling, nobody's screaming, and nobody's crying. And I didn't even get an amen. I don't think we understand how good of news this is. We need to rethink it. I mean, we went through last week and we talked about what does the statement mean, kind of word by word, what does it mean? And, and then, okay, if the Holy Spirit says, is he really in there? And if he is in there, what did he bring with him? What kind of tools and what was his intent? We talked about all that. I'm going to go over it again in a minute. But let's just think about this. Let's just think about this in the bigger picture. Okay. Let me give you some good news. Good news. <clears throat> Tim, the board has decided to appoint you the CEO of Boeing Aircraft. That would be pretty good news for me. 
We're pleased to inform you that your application to Harvard University has been accepted and you will receive a four-year full scholarship. Carol, will you marry me? Yes, I will. <laughs> Dad, says the doctor, let me introduce you to your new healthy young daughter. Well, sir, as far as we can tell, all the tests confirm that your cancer is completely gone. And the winner of the best Oscar for the best actor is you! Tim, we're calling you to let you know that you've been named Time Magazine's Man of the Year. Honey? Remember that lottery ticket we picked up on the way out of the grocery store? It's a winner! And according to People Magazine, guess what? I've just been named one of the ten most beautiful people in the world. All of those are good news. Five seconds after I die, not a single one of those things is going to matter. Not one. Let me give you some really good news. This is kind of funny because... It was up there. Um, Luke 19, verse 10. For the Son of God came to seek and to save that which was lost. The Son of God came to both seek and save that which was lost. This is really good news. Because we were all in big trouble. And here's one that, yeah, great minds think alike and God's Holy Spirit is working. Romans 10.9, which we already saw up there. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So, okay, Jesus came to seek and save that what was lost. And here's the way, if you just confess with your mouth and believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and risen from the dead, you can be one of those who are saved from eternal damnation in hell. That's really, really good news. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can conceive what God has prepared for those who love him. No mind can conceive. You can't even imagine how great the next phase of your existence is going to be if you are a follower of Christ. They sing the song, I can only imagine. We sing it a lot of times, and it's a great song, I love it. But guess what? You can't. The Bible says you can't imagine. We have some perspective of things that we think are great, like this good news. And people are always saying, well, gosh, I, I'm sure there's going to be fishing in heaven and my dog, and, and maybe I'll win the lottery in heaven. I don't know. All the things that we think we want to transpose into the next life because we think they're good here, we have no chance of imagining how good the next life is going to be. This is really good news. So we've talked about different phases, okay? So I think there are, there's kind of four, but mostly three. Phases of your life, if you're a follower of Christ. There is from the time you were born to the time you received Christ, okay? And then, then everything changed, right? And everything changed, and I, I, got, I was saved, and I was moved over here from an object of God's wrath to an object of God's love, mercy, and grace, 
and everything was different. And then I had this hope, and then there's this other phase after I die, right? I'm going to die, and then all the work's going to be done, and I'm going to be completely transformed, and, and I'm going to see God, and I'm going to see a lot of things that I don't know, and then eventually Jesus is going to come back. And, and so I, I say it's four or three, four. If you die now, you're, you're not going straight to heaven. There's another place you're going to wait until Jesus returns in the final resurrection and there's a new heaven and a new earth and we're all going to live together in a physical sense on this new heaven and new earth. So there's this in-between place called paradise where you're going to wait if you die. Anyway, let's just kind of lump those two together. But then we have this really problematic phase of our existence and that is the one after we've been saved but before we die or Jesus returns and we look around just like I told the kids, I'm still sinning. This stinks. Because I've been given the Holy Spirit, and one of the things we talked about last week was he's in there to convict me when I sin, so it's no longer even fun to sin. Bummer. And so I I can't live my life without that conviction, and so here I am, and I'm trying to understand how can I lead a more godly life because the sin that I see in my life now is killing me. And we see this struggle in the lives of Christians all over as we strive to live a more godly life. And so this is wonderful news. Let me tell you how wonderful it is. On your own, you stink. On my own, I stink. I can't live a godly life in the flesh. I can't do it no matter how hard I try. And it is frustrating. And God convicts me of that sin. And I feel terrible when I'm not doing the things that please God. And it isn't out of, okay, I just feel like, oh, you know, this is a too much of a burden. But it, but it can be, and a lot of people find that in their Christian walk. It's just too hard. And so they put on an act, and they fake it, or they, they just keep trying in the flesh, and they keep striving away, and all they find is frustration and failure, and they just don't get it. And God says, I never intended that to be your struggle alone. Let me give you some really good news. We believe in the present ministry of the Holy Spirit. By whose indwelling, you think it was really cool that that God took form of a man and came down here and lived on earth and, and some people actually walked next to him? That was great. God says, I'm doing you one better now. I'm putting me in you. God, who created everything with nothing, lives in you if you are a believer in Christ. And his purpose when he's in there is to make you like him. Are we getting the magnitude of how good of news this is? This is the part of our existence right now that we relate to as Christians. You know, oh, and I don't know, maybe not all of you are Christians, and if you aren't, you need to be, and I'll talk to you about it. We can introduce you to the one who can fix it. But this is where we live right now. We're living, and we're followers of Christ, and it's a struggle day to day to try to figure out how can we be better. And God says, I have the answer 
We believe that the Holy Spirit indwells us and he's in there to enable us to live a more godly life. So then we'll go to the questions. I'm pretty sure, I'm almost positive, we're going to get through question one. I've split my sermon. (laughs) Why is it still so hard? God, why is it still so hard? How many of you, you could raise your hand if you want here. How many of you have ever asked God that? Oh no, this Christian life is so easy to do. Man, there's not like there's any rules or anything. I've shared it with you a number of times, and I'm sorry for keeping using the same reference, but I watched that Netflix special, American Gospel, and that theme was just permeating the whole thing. The Christian life is just too hard. And when we reduce it to a bunch of rules or behaviors, it is. Because let me just tell you right now, You stand no chance whatsoever, none, of doing it well on your own. And so God gives us this, and he says, okay, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And it's me, it's God. It is God with an unlimited amount of power. And I'm going to come in there, and I'm going to do a bunch of things for you. Well, then, if that's true, Jesus, Holy Spirit, God, why am I still struggling so hard in my Christian walk? And I think at some point in each of our lives, we are at that point, and we are asking that question. And I'm telling you, the Bible has the answer. Like we did when we spoke about the salvation process. Well, let me, let me go through this, for, just make sure we covered everything, because this is because it's turned into a three-part sermon thing to get through this. Uh, I, I did want to bring up a few things from last time, just so you remember. Okay, last time we talked about the statement, what does it mean to be indwelled? Okay, what does the Holy Spirit bring to the table when he comes? And it was, he regenerates us to start with so we can even be Christians. He's a teacher and a guide and a provider of discernment. He's a giver of gifts, and he convicts us of sin, among other things. And his purpose is to transform us back to the image of Jesus so that we can have a more intimate relationship with God and with one another. And it will result in changed behavior. And it doesn't work the other way. This is something we have to remember. You cannot change your behavior and then become transformed. You cannot work your way through the transformation process. Your changed behavior or living a more godly life, according to point five, is a result of something that's taking place within you, not a result of that. You can say, okay, I can be better, and then God will love me more and change me. No, it doesn't work that way. The behavior that changes is a result of the Holy Spirit transforming you back to the image of Jesus. So how do we have, how can we make that process more effective? So I think, again, the same way we were examining where we started when it came to the process of salvation, where were we? We were all fallen, right? We looked at that. That man was totally corrupted, right? 
He was totally depraved. All men born after the fall are born separated from God. So, but, but, but that was taken care of, right? That was, I was moved away, and now I'm no longer at war with God. And he says, okay, I'm going to give you a new heart, and I'm going to give you a new mind. Well, then, then, then what's the problem? Because I'm guaranteeing you I still sin, and so do you. And so if I have this new heart and this new mind, what is it that's causing me to have such a problem going through this process of living a more godly life? Again, that's not the goal. The goal is not to live a more godly life. The goal is to be transformed by the Holy Spirit, and then you will live a more godly life. I mean, it's a great thing to, to aspire to that, but, but you can't just aspire to that. You have to say, I aspire to, through the Holy Spirit, be transformed. So let's start first with why is it so hard? <clears throat> now, I've had some conversations with other Christians regarding this passage, um, and it was regarding this subject. And this particular person uh, said, well, I think Paul is speaking about his life before he became a Christian. I don't think so. Let's read it together and see if we can come to an idea or a conclusion as to what is my state even now after I've been saved. And so in Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through 25 in the ESV version, the extra special version, uh, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. Now, what he's saying is, look, the law, and this is what they had before, right? Before Christianity, they had the law. And the law was a bunch of rules, and it required obedience, and it required their commitment to do it. And they say, you know what? This, the law is spiritual. God gave it to us. But I'm in the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For what I do not do, for I do not do what I want, but the very thing that I hate. So why would he hate it? Because he's been saved. And so he's saying, look, I'm doing these things, and I don't want to do them. And I, in fact, I hate them. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it's not good. So he's saying, look, I understand the things that I'm doing. Because of the law, points out my sin. It was there to point out my sin. And I know the law. And so since I know the law, and I understand it's sin, it's, it's been pointed out to me. I agree with it. It's not good. And so, but the law is good. The rules are good. He's not saying that the rules are bad. You know, he goes on in great detail to talk about that in other parts of Romans. That, you know, the law is, is good. And it was scriptural, but it was never meant to save me. But it did point out my sin. In fact, how could I, he said, how could I commit the sin of covetousness till I understood that coveting was wrong? And so the rules or the expectations are holy and they are characteristics of God. So he's not saying the rules are the problem, it's me. And so now it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. What is he saying there, people? That there is a part of him that still exists that is sinful. There is something still in, maybe the greatest apostle that God ever ordained, still something in him that's broken. How many of you see that in yourselves. I know I do. I'm still broken. There are aspects of me that are still not redeemed. Now, he, my soul belongs to God. 
Before the foundation of the world, it says. He knew me and my soul. But, but here I am, I'm living in the flesh, and this flesh is still inherently sinful. Okay. For I know nothing good dwells in me. That is in my flesh. So, but we already heard from, right, that, that the spirit, spirit indwells him. So he's not saying nothing good in me dwells in me except my flesh. Because the Holy Spirit's dwelling in there, and he does have a new heart, and God is guarding his heart and mind. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. So, so that's, what, that's this conundrum. This is your problem, people. This is my problem. I have the desire from God's Holy Spirit to do what is right. I just can't do it in the flesh. And we're going to see. How many of you have experienced here again? You can raise your hand if you want. How many of you have experienced spiritual growth in your life? I can see it. Okay, so it isn't like God isn't doing something. It isn't like I haven't had some victory by the power of God's Holy Spirit over the sins in my life. It is not that God isn't working away and that there hasn't been some progress, but I understand that I don't have the ability to do it perfectly. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. Now, is this like, oh, the devil made me do it? Uh, you guys are too, many of you are too young to understand. That was a Flip Wilson thing. Not me, God. The devil made me do it. Is that what he's saying? No. No, he's saying the sin, the fleshly sin that still lives in him. Now, does the devil tempt us? Is there a spiritual battle going on in our lives? Absolutely. Absolutely. And Scripture talk, talks about that in other places, that yes, there is a devil. And yes, there is a demonic battle. And yes, he will tempt God's children. And yes, he puts things out there. But that's not what this is talking about. This is not Paul saying, yes, I'm under attack from the devil, and so therefore, not me doing it, God. The devil made me do that one. Uh-uh. No, he's saying... The sin that dwells in me. Unfortunately, that is the condition we're in, even as saved believers in God, even as children of Christ. We still have this sin nature that's in us. And so what God has said is, I, I, I put my Holy Spirit in there because there's still work to be done. Why? i got to ask God, why? Why? I'm, I'm totally convinced that my eternal heritage is secure. I know where I'm going. Sooner the better. Right, Ron? Yeah. <laughs> Don't, let's not wander. Let's not walk into the shallows. Let's just dive off into the next phase of our existence because it is going to be so cool. But that's not my choice to make. God has to do that. But I am welcoming it. But right now, here I am, I'm stuck in this body, and when it is the way it is, I don't like it. It makes me miserable. My sin makes me miserable. Now, this, this gets us into some territory sometimes that can be a little bit tricky uh, from the ditches on both sides of the road, and I think we've talked about this before, of the uh, you know, free grace movement versus the lordship salvation. That you know, Free grace just says it doesn't matter how you live, you're saved and you're going to heaven, so just live it up. 
the other side says, you know, it's all about this obedience thing. And, and if Jesus isn't your Lord and you aren't completely, uh, you know, moving up the sanctification, then you're not really a Christian. Both of those are wrong. But I do understand there's this battle going on inside of me and that God has said, I will help you with that. But there are some things that do need to happen, which we're going to talk about when we get to how do I do this better next week. But for now, I want you to understand that there is something going on in your life, even though you've been a Christian for a long time, like me, since I was 12 years old. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do what's right, Evil lies close at hand. How many of you think that? I mean, do you have to go very far to find sin in today's culture? (laughs) No, no. In fact, it has an agenda to seek you out. In this information age, everything that used to be in the other side, the bad side of town, now lives in your home through the interweb. (laughs) Okay? There's no no problem finding ways to sin. They're right there, man. I mean, it's easy. It's the default position because I can not only do it from the outside, but I can do it right inside here. God says when he came and through Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, no longer is it just good enough to not commit adultery. If you're thinking it, (laughs) that's just as bad. I can sit at home in my bed, wake up and sin right there without even getting up. It's not hard to find sin. It's right there. It lies close at hand. But I delight in the law of God in my inner being. So I know that I've been changed. I know I have a new heart. I know I have a new mind. Even though I still have this problem with sin in my life, I see my members, one another, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. There is a battle going on inside you. You have the Holy Spirit. You have a changed heart and a changed mind. And it wants to do the things that please God. And yet there's this other part of you that's still in the flesh, that still is sinful. And it wants to take control because that is the default position. In my fleshly parts of me still, I want to control everything. I want to be the God of my own life. I want to gratify the desires of the flesh. And it says that. There's other scriptures that say, hey, no longer gratify the desires of the flesh if... And we're going to talk about the answer next week. But, but I just want you to recognize the reason that this is so hard is because there are still parts of us that are broken. Again, I think, God, why didn't you just totally fix me? I don't know. But I do know I'm in a struggle. And I knew that, do know that because of God, victory is available. Okay. So this is Paul, and I can just hear, I can just hear the despair or the anxiety in his voice. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then we'll see in the rest of Romans as we look at it next week, we'll be looking at Romans 8, 1 through 14, that there's an answer. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God in my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. But he's just saying, look, there's an answer, and he's going to tell us the answer in Romans chapter 8, the first 14 verses. There's one other thing, though, I'd like to share with you 
for why it's hard. Why is it so hard for us? And that comes from Galatians. And this is, again, one of the biggest problems we have as Christians trying to be perfected in our walk with God after we've been saved. And it starts in chapter 3, the first three verses. O foolish Galatians, says Paul, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. He came and he preached the message of Christ crucified. Now, there's something, there's a little background here. Basically, they've been um, corrupted by the Judaizers that want them to go back to the law where, where we can be in control by just being obedient and following the rules and keeping the law. And he's saying, you, you were taught that it was Christ crucified, not your own attempts at being obedient. You were there when I said it. You were there when the message was preached. Jesus Christ crucified provided atonement for your sins and allowed you to be saved. Let me ask you this then. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you? Here's the, here's the killer. Here's the one that trips us up. Are you so foolish, Tim, having begun your walk in the Spirit, that you are now trying to perfect it in the flesh? Are you so foolish? Evidently so. Having begun your walk by faith in the Holy Spirit, that you are now trying to perfect it in the flesh? Guilty. And that's where most of us are a lot of the times. And if you ask yourself, why is it so hard to live a godly life, a life that's pleasing to the one who bought and paid for you, it's because of this. Those two things. Number one, there are parts of you that are still broken. Two, you're probably trying to do it in the power of the flesh. It'll never work. And it leads to nothing but frustration and despair. And it destroys your faith and your hope because God never intended you to save yourself. And God never intended you to fix yourself. There is great hope in point number five of our statement of faith. Not hope for our salvation, but hope for our transformation in this life from the sinful human being that we were when God started to a more holy human being when God is done. He'll never be totally done here. And he won't finish the job till you die or he comes back. But there is hope for progress in our holiness because God will do it. And in fact, it says that, right? In, in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, it says this. You're going to hear it again. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who calls you is faithful. He will do it. That's 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 23 and 24. So there's hope. Now, that's something that God's going to do, and he's going to present you blameless. And some of that's positional and some of it's practical. But what we're going to hear next week is how God does it. 
How is it that the Holy Spirit works? What is God doing, and what's he asking me to do? Because I can look back at my own life, and I'm sure you can yours too, and see that there were times of great spiritual growth, and other times when there was very little. Or maybe you even went backwards. Maybe for a while you decided to, uh, this is not working for me. I'm going to do it my own way. So I understand that we struggle in this, but there is hope, and God does have a plan. He had a plan to save you. He has a plan to transform you. So next week, come back, and we'll be looking at God's answer to help us live a more holy life. Um, Let's pray. Then we're going to have the guys come up to pass out the communion. Why don't you guys come up while we're praying? Dear Father, I, uh, this, this is a struggle that all of us have to one extent or another. Um, and and the, the tragedy of it is so much of it is unnecessary if we would cooperate with your Holy Spirit. You have both the intent and the power to change us. And yet we see very little change at times. And so, Lord, I just pray that we would take this to heart and then understand your plan to help us live the kind of life and be the kind of people that please you. So, Father, we, just, we, we know that it's going to take your, your power, your strength, your help, your Holy Spirit. So we just thank you in advance for what you've already done, what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen.